Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Well, thanks, Tamba, and uh, feel free to leave your Bibles uh, open there. We're going to be focusing uh, especially on the Transfiguration itself, because that is, after all, what our series has been leading up to. Have you ever taken a picture of something, uh, whether it be of a person or maybe a bee or the sky, anything that catches your eye, and just as you press the button... The subject moves or something gets in the way and you end up with a picture that isn't entirely clear. It might be a bit out of focus uh, or maybe there's something sort of partly covering it or they're facing the wrong way. You've ended up with an incomplete image. It's still a picture of your subject but it's not quite the full picture. It's not what you envisaged. Your subject's a bit obscured, still a bit out of focus, a bit incomplete. Well, up until Jesus, this is 
kind of like what the image of God was like for Israel. They had a picture of God through the scriptures, uh, especially through passages like uh, the ones we've looked at in our series so far, where we've seen Moses uh, and Elijah on separate occasions meet with God. But Moses wasn't allowed to see God in all his glory. Elijah wasn't allowed to see God in all his glory. And so Israel knew God, they had an image of him, but it was incomplete. They knew of God's holiness and righteousness. They knew of his grace and his compassion. And they knew of his sovereignty and, above all, of his glory. But they didn't truly know him like you and I can know each other face to face. They knew his commands because he he had given them the law, but they didn't really know how to live accordingly. They didn't know how to keep the law perfectly. And usually they would end up falling away and rejecting God. And they knew that God was going to send a Messiah, a Christ, to save them from their enemies and even from themselves, from their rejection of God. But they didn't exactly know what that would look like or involve. They knew God, but not fully. They didn't have the whole picture. And that brings us to this passage today, this time where all is revealed. Here is the place where that picture of who God is that we've been leading up towards becomes just right. It becomes clear but in a way that for them at the time was completely unexpected. You'll notice that our reading didn't actually begin with the transfiguration itself. Uh, Instead, we started with Jesus asking a question of the disciples while they're away from the crowds. He asks, who do the crowds, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, you know, some say that you're uh, John the Baptist, Uh, others say that you're Elijah, Uh, some more others think you're maybe one of the other prophets from long ago that has come back to life. So within the community, among the public, there's there's a lot of confusion, there's some debate about exactly who Jesus is. They clearly recognise that he's great, They recognise that there's something special about him. But they're not sure exactly how it fits in what they know, what they understand of the world. And so some say, well, he must be Elijah, you know, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. Or maybe he's just one of the other famous prophets, one of those chosen by God to speak the words of God to the people of God. Or maybe he's John the Baptist, who was also uh, a great prophet and a contemporary of Jesus, and had just been killed by King Herod. So maybe he's come back to life as Jesus. All this shows us is they can't figure out who he is. They're racking their brains trying to think, who is this man? But they can't figure it out. And this, I think is something that we should recognise in our world today, right? 
There are all kinds of ideas today about who Jesus is. You may have spotted in one of the pictures Beck had that at their stall they had all these uh, different options for who we think he is. Was he a myth? Was he a good teacher? Was he a moral man? It's a question that all of us have to have an answer for. Because Jesus himself thinks that there is an answer and that it matters. So he's asking his closest followers who they think he is. Just like the disciples, if Jesus asked us this question, we could point to the world and say, well, some say you were a great moral teacher. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a revolutionary. And who do his disciples say that he is? Who would we say that he is? Well, in this moment, Peter is the one who responds. And he boldly declares that Jesus is God's Messiah. And this is a big moment for the disciples because they had been just as confused as everyone else. And in fact, given what we see uh, in Matthew's Gospel about this from the same um, passage in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus commends Peter for his answer, for being the one to say that he's the Messiah. Because he seems to be the only one who says it. But previous to that, he had been as unsure as all the others. In the previous chapter of Luke, we see Jesus calming the storm. Uh, He's with all the disciples on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and this fierce storm crops up. The disciples fear for their lives. They know what these storms, what, uh, what these storms can be like on the lake. But Jesus simply gets up, tells a storm to be still, and it stops. But the result is that the disciples are terrified of Jesus. And they're asking each other, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man? Not long after that, it's not recorded in Luke's Gospel, but in Mark's Gospel, we see the disciples are coming back over the Sea of Galilee uh, in the boat, but Jesus is on his own. Uh, So he's on land, he's not with them in the boat, and then he begins walking on water. And it says in Mark 6 that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars, so they're fighting against a strong wind, and that he was about to pass by them. Now, at first glance, that might just seem a bit weird, right? What, was he going to sort of overtake them? Was he going to just waltz by and just ignore them? But for us, looking through this series, those words might sound familiar. What did God say he was going to do for Moses back in Exodus 33? God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass by you. And what does the Lord say in 1 Kings 19? He says to Elijah, Go up and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for there the Lord is about to pass by. So for God to pass by is for him to reveal who he is, 
And what's Jesus about to do? He was going to pass by the disciples. It seems he was going to show them his godhood, his glory as God, as him being the Messiah. But once again, the disciples are terrified uh, because this time they think he's a ghost wandering on the water. And so it says he has compassion on them, like we saw with Elijah last time. And he calls out to them and says, Do not be afraid. I am. Now, normally we translate that as uh, it is I or it's me, but he literally says, I am, which is the name of God himself, as revealed in the Old Testament to Moses. But the disciples can't quite put the pieces together yet. Mark uh, goes on to write there that they were amazed because their hearts were hard. They hadn't understood Jesus' miracles. They didn't understand what he was telling them and showing them. And so now, with this declaration from Peter, saying to Jesus, you are God's Messiah, now they're ready. They're ready to hear what Jesus has come to do and to see with their own eyes who he really is. And so we get this uh, sequence of events in Matthew and Mark and Luke. They're all the same, where Peter affirms who Jesus is and then Jesus tells them what is going to happen next, that he will suffer and be rejected by the leaders of Israel, they will be killed and then on the third day rise from the dead. And then he goes on to teach those famous words about any disciple of his needing to take up their cross every day and follow him. For what good is it to possess the world yet forfeit their soul? And then about a week later, we get the transfiguration. Verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. I think the use of the word fulfillment here perfectly encapsulates everything that's going on in this passage. This is all about showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. Everything in the Bible Everything in the story of us, of humanity, has been leading up to Jesus. Since the creation of the world, everything has been waiting for Jesus to come. Because he's the Messiah, he's the one who is sent to save Israel, God's chosen people. And so here he appears with Moses on one side 
and Elijah on the other, which shows us that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. The law was given to Israel on Mount Sinai to show them, as we discussed a few weeks ago, how to be God's people, how to represent God to the world, how to show the world what it looks like to live godly lives and follow and obey their creator. And then the prophets gave Israel God's word. They spoke to Israel in order to bring them back to God when they strayed by reminding them of the law and reminding them of the grace of God, that everything he had done for them. And in reminding them of the covenants that God had made with them and always kept, including ultimately the promise of a Messiah that would come and rescue people from their sins and from the result of those sins. And now here is Jesus in the middle, literally, of the law and the prophets. Uh, In Hebrew shorthand, if you were talking about the law and the prophets as a phrase, you were referring to the whole of Scripture. They're the two main genres in what we call the Old Testament. So the short way of referring to the Old Testament is the law and the prophets. And that's that tells the story of humanity up to Jesus. Jesus himself uses the phrase on, on multiple occasions, and perhaps most famously on the Sermon of the Mount. In Matthew 5.17 he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus kept the law perfectly. So he never broke it once. He showed the world what it means to live good, godly lives and to obey God in all that we do. What's more like Moses did and like all the Jewish priests did in accordance with the law, he mediates between God and us and in death presented himself as a sacrifice for our sins for all of time allowing us to be justified not by works as the law demanded, but by faith in him. He is the fulfillment of the law. And he is the fulfillment of the prophets, because he is the one that they prophesied would come. He is the Messiah. And more than that, He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. That is, he's the fulfillment of everything since the beginning. He's the one that God promised to Eve that would crush Satan and death, which he did in his death and resurrection. He's the only one that could do that. He's the only one who could deal with sin. He's the only one who could rescue us and offer us eternal life. He's the only one who could say that one day he will return in angels, with angels in glory, as we've seen. Why? Because he's not just the Messiah. He is also God. He was there at the beginning. He was there before the beginning. He is eternally God. All of creation made by him for his glory, 
which he was sent to earth to fulfill. And so, he shows us here that he is God. I hope you notice some of the language uh, that was used in this passage resembles uh, language we've seen previously in this series. Uh, Where are they going? They're going up a mountain, just as Moses and Elijah did to meet God. At the top of the mountain, they see Jesus in glory. Matthew records uh, not just that his face changed, as we read in Luke, but in fact that his face was shining like the sun, which sounds a lot like what happened to Moses when he was meeting with God, his face reflecting God's glory. But here it is even greater, because Jesus isn't just reflecting God's glory, it seems like he is God's glory. He's not meeting with God. This glory is coming from him. So much so that even his clothes are like a flash of lightning. Mark records it as being a dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And then a cloud descends on them all. And there in the cloud is the voice of God speaking just like back in Exodus when Moses would speak with God. None of this is accidental or coincidental. This is meant to show the disciples, to show us who Jesus is. It's meant to show us that this man is also God in all his glory. No wonder on uh, seeing this that Peter, I feel a bit sorry for Peter, he's basically just blabbering, right? He's just saying the first thing that comes to mind because he's seeing God in all his glory. If anything, it's actually amazing that he could speak at all at what he's seeing. But what's more amazing is what they're saying. Do you remember what God had said to Moses when Moses asked, show me your glory? God says, well, I will cause all my goodness, his glory, to pass by you, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. No one could see God fully in all his glory and live Because as we went through in part one, God is too holy, he's too righteous to abide the presence of evil, of sin. But now, through Jesus, through God in the flesh, humans are able to see God in all his glory. They are seeing the face of God, literally, this time. It wasn't literal last time, now it is. God has chosen to come down, not just to pass by for a moment, as he had done before, but in fact to dwell with us, to experience human life, to die an agonizing human death, so that we might see him face to face in all his glory 
forever. You see, this moment of the transfiguration isn't just about this moment when these three disciples got to see all of God's glory face to face. In truth, this moment is ultimately about us being able to see God's glory face to face for all eternity. This moment is the confirmation, the reassurance that yes, Jesus is God. Everything that he has said will come about. And this moment is a glimpse of what the end result of his death and resurrection will look like. Us with God in all his glory, face to face, forever. And God also tells us how to get there. He gives one command through which we can get to live with this glorious God forever. What does he say? He says, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. This is actually uh, quite similar to what God says about The angel of the Lord, remember him? We've discussed him briefly in both parts of the series so far. uh, And that he is probably God the Son before his incarnation as Jesus. Back in Exodus 23, God says to the Israelites about the angel that they must pay attention to him and listen to what he says because God's name is in him. And now about Jesus, God says, this is my son, so the father's name is in the son, Listen to him. Everything that has come before Jesus ultimately points to him. So listen to him. And this command to listen to Jesus is meant for us in two ways. First, listen to him. Listen to what he says about what he was sent to do, which we saw him talk to the disciples about earlier in this passage. Listen when he says to take up your cross, to make sacrifices in your life here in order to follow him so that you can have eternal life through him. Listen to what he says elsewhere when he tells us that the greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. Listen when he declares that he is God. Like when he calls himself, I am. And when he shows himself to be God as he does in the transfiguration. Listen to all that he says and consider what that means for you. If he is God, then it should be reflected in his ministry. We should see that he has all the qualities of God uh, that we've seen across this series. That he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is full of grace and compassion, that he is sovereign and glorious. And when we read through the gospel for ourselves, when we read the Bible, God's word, this is exactly what we see. 
Over and over, Jesus demonstrates his godhood. Whether it be his extraordinary compassion for the disciples and for the crowds. Or his sovereignty when he declares exactly what's going to happen to him and why. Or his glory when he's transfigured. He is clearly God. Which means, for us, we should follow him. We should obey him. We should listen to what he says. And not in a selective way. Not in only what makes us comfortable. Like children who hear their parents say, it's time for dinner and they go for dinner. But not when they say, can you put the bins out? What? Let's listen to everything that he says. Like when he states in John's Gospel that he is the way and the truth and the life. Or to put it another way, listen to him. Because that famous verse finishes by saying that no one comes to the Father except through him. He alone shows us the fullness of God's glory. So listen to him alone. Don't just claim that he was a good moral teacher alongside other moral teachers. Or that he has revealed some truth about God and the world alongside others who do equally as much. Among mankind, he and he alone is God. He and he alone gives us the path to eternal life. And he tells us that it goes through him alone. Even on that mountain, there are three there. Moses, Elijah and Jesus. And what does God say? He says, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Not listen to them. Not listen to Moses, because Moses represents the law which Jesus fulfills. We aren't bound by the law of Moses, which doomed us to death because none of us could keep, us, could keep it fully because of our sins. Instead, follow Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Because we're bound to him in his death that paid the sacrifice for us so that we could have life. And not listen to Elijah listen to the prophets who promised the coming Messiah because we're not waiting for the Messiah to come. We're not waiting for more special revelation from God to some modern day teacher or to you yourself. God has been revealed in all his fullness in Jesus the Messiah, in God himself come to earth for us. So listen to him. And this is not to say that uh, you know, the writings of the law and the prophets uh, are irrelevant, because that's not what Jesus says. He says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So we need to know what is said in the law and in the prophets to know who Jesus is and why he's come. That's what we've been doing in this series. And now we have a complete picture.
picture of God through Jesus. So, will you listen to him? Peter, James and John all devoted the rest of their lives to Jesus, to spreading the good news about his death and resurrection, even in the face of suffering. John writes in the first chapter of his Gospel that we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And in his second letter, Peter writes in chapter 1 that we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. They saw Jesus. They saw God in his glory and so they listened to him. They followed him to the end. They were prepared to give up their lives for him. Because in Jesus, they found salvation. They found truth. They found eternal life. And now here they are as eyewitnesses for us. As people who saw God's glory even for a little while. Who lived alongside that same glorious God who saw him die and be raised to life and ascend to heaven from where he will one day return. Because although we can't see Jesus in all his glory like they did right now, ultimately, just as we learnt about who God is from Moses meeting with God and from Elijah meeting with God, so too we learn from this where God has come down to meet humans as a man. We learn from this who God is and we learn him fully. We now have the full picture. From these eyewitness accounts, we get to see what they saw. We get to learn what they learnt. We get to know the truth about God. And we're asked to think through what that means for us, just as they were asked. So that one day, we will be alongside them. We will see God in all his glory, face to face, for all eternity. All it requires is that you listen to him. Listen to everything that he says in his word and follow him. Will you do it? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for revealing all your glory to us in Jesus. 
Thank you for giving us your word, Lord, so that we can know you, so that we can know all you've done for us, so that we can know all the attributes you have that you've shown to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow in our love for you. Help us to bow down in worship of you as the God of everything, who sent your glorious Son into this world for our sake. Lord, thank you for offering us eternal life. And we pray that by your Spirit, you would help us to listen to Jesus, to listen to your glorious Son. Help us to follow him, Lord, so that we can spend eternity with you. This we pray in his name. Amen.